Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Heat.com. With me as always, it's David Vermel. How you doing, David? I am doing great. I haven't been fined or suspended, so everything is right with the world. Not yet, um, but we'll see how this podcast goes. <laughs> Always an option. Yeah. All right, so the guy that was suspended was Hassan Whiteside. One game just a couple hours before we started recording this thing. Um, did he deserve it? What's your reaction to this? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. That's overly simplistic, but um, I didn't see anything from Olenek in particular that kind of warranted. We talked about it last time with his ejection during the whole Alex Len fracas, mm-hmm. but this wasn't the same thing where they were kind of just like being rough with one another all game long and, and frustration starts to boil over. This didn't seem like that. You know, there wasn't any kind of over physicality for most of the game. It just kind of got to a blew up all of a sudden midway through the third quarter. But there was some things taking place in the game that led up to that point, and that was that might have been particularly frustrating. Um, and Len's kind of a, Len's like a dirty player. Like people know him as like a dirty, physical, whatever. You know, he's kind of Olenek's not. Olenek's like a string bean. Olenek's not. Olenek's trying to get the hell out of the paint whenever he can, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that's right. But it, it, I, I broke down a couple of minutes before the actual ejection uh-huh. took place. Based on a, a tweet sent out by Grantland's uh, Bill Simmons, where he said that he, he said that uh, Hassan Whiteside's hit on Olenek was the biggest chicken shit move in the NBA in recent years, and then he followed that up with a tweet about the 25 seconds preceding the hit, where I guess Whiteside was particularly frustrated. So I went a little further back to see if maybe Mr. Simmons might have been incorrect. And no, unfortunately, he wasn't. Uh, there were a couple of plays there where Whiteside lost Olenek completely, leading to a wide-open three-point attempt that Olenek hit, another wide-open wide three-pointer that Olenek missed, and then on, on offense, uh, Olenek was able to actually box out Whiteside on a number of occasions there. So there, there seemed to be some frustration from Whiteside building up. And then finally... I don't know exactly what it was that might have set him up. He got fouled on one end, or at least he think he got he thinks he got fouled. This is Whiteside, and it wasn't even by Olenek. Yeah, I think he was fouled or stripped clean by Isaiah Thomas, and that led to a fast break opportunity for Boston, where Whiteside didn't even go down on defense. He was must have been arguing the call. According to Simmons, he saw that there was somebody waiting to be subbed in for Chris Anderson, who was on the sideline waiting to be subbed in. And then Whiteside must have gotten particularly frustrated when he met Olenek at the top of the key. 
and they kind of tangled a little bit. You saw that Whiteside brushed him away and kind of like made contact with Olenek's face. And then all of a sudden, Olenek's boxing out of that missed Boston Celtics attempt, and Whiteside just clobbers him in the back of the head. And I don't think it was Olenek's fault, and I don't think Whiteside really was upset with Olenek. I think Whiteside was more upset, and I'm just guessing here, but upset with his play because he wasn't playing well because he was not boxed out multiple times. I mean, it was 22 minutes that Whiteside was playing before getting ejected, and he was not playing well. He was getting out physical or out 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 muscled by Olenek multiple times, you know, boxing out and whatever. Um, but just in general, it wasn't playing well. And I think this is just like when you punch the wall or punch the refrigerator or you're just mad at something. It's not the wall's fault. The wall didn't do anything. But Olenek just happened, unfortunately, to be the closest guy near Whiteside when he decided he needed to take out some frustrations in a physical way. We know there's two things Whiteside doesn't like. It's getting fouled and not getting the call. You know, we know he doesn't he's voiced those frustrations in the past and this is just that keep that bubbling over and not playing. We know he's been upset when Spolster subbed him out and played him fewer minutes than he feels he just deserved. And you're probably right. When he saw Anderson um subbing in, that probably was set him off. That might have been the final uh the final straw there, and uh, we, he wasn't playing well, and he's just... Refs haven't really been giving him the calls, and you can't really blame them because of the way he's acted, you know, in the immature way. We know refs don't respond to that. Um, and I just think that because of here losing, because of all these things, it's starting to bubble over, and it's a real concern. And, like, like I, I felt like a jerk when in the morning we posted a roundtable on All You Can Eat, and everybody except me said that they were concerned about Whiteside's um, inability to chill. And I was the one guy saying, oh, it's fine. Like, it's just the way he is. But this is an issue. This is really something he needs to fix. And I think the Heat publicly is talking about how they were disappointed with him. There's no hiding it now. And it's it's when the Heat come out publicly to say things like this, which is rare, you know it's a real issue in the locker room that just can't be in the locker room itself. They're trying to put some public pressure on him to fix what you it mean is. The heat, you mean the Heat players? When they yeah. Said what they did. yeah. Yeah. And Spolstra. I, I didn't see anything from Spolstra, so if you did, please enlighten what me was it because I didn't see anything specifically from him. Uh, I don't think he said anything to the level that Wade did, but maybe I, meant, maybe I was making the Spolstra thing up. That's very possible. Okay. Um, yeah, I was thinking back I can't recall a single time that Wade's ever called anybody out like that publicly since Michael Beasley back in mm-hmm. late 2010. So what does it say when I did see a tweet saying that Whiteside views Beasley as a mentor? Oh my god. Really? <laughs> Not only Beasley, there was other players involved like Wade um, and Haslam, but uh, I always, <laughs> that kind of got some play on Twitter a little bit. Um, I just assumed he meant maybe more from Beasley's been through it kind of thing. And maybe since now Beasley has arrived, I guess, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. We'll talk about Michael Beasley a little bit later in the podcast, but I think that's what it was. But I thought it was interesting. And that Beasley had that interesting quote saying, like, uh, somebody asked him what it was like or what do you think it's like for Whiteside right now or something like that. And he said something like, oh, just ask ask 2008 me or something like that right uh, I, 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 ask Wayne about me in 2008 yeah yeah I love this the, I love this new Beasley 
certainly a, a level of self-awareness that we haven't seen from him in the past. Is right? it that East, it's that that Eastern philosophy, <laughs> philosophy kind of? Yeah. yeah, he's just more chill, just more zen. You know, he went to the land where Phil Jackson learned all his zen. Went to the root. And then and he came back like this more spiritual. I just imagine like Beasley like getting like acupuncture and like doing all these things now just to relax himself. While drinking snake juice or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Tiger blood. <laughs> well, he actually drank something called snake juice. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was I knew he ate horse meat. I thought you were making things up. I was like, I didn't know. No, no, no. Juice. It's like some kind of concoction that they called snake juice. I don't remember if it had snake venom or snake blood in it, but either way, it was it's called snake juice. And he ate horse meat and something yes. else, sir. Yes, and he said he didn't really like horse meat. So now we know that about Michael Beasley. That's good. Well, now we know what not to feed him when he comes over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make sure I don't grill up a nice uh, horse meat flank steak. And, and you know he gets ejected he gets tossed and Udonis Haslam falls him into the locker room so you imagine that he probably had some pretty choice words for him right that must have been the single most scariest moment in Whiteside's career I mean can you imagine like for well Haslam was uh, he wasn't playing because of injury so he just took it upon himself That's this is why Heat fans love Haslam he wasn't playing he wasn't contributing but he immediately went to white side and I don't know if he said him straight because we we don't know because white side didn't play the rest of the game but um I, to me that was you remember like the the historical and myst, mystified Jawan Howard speech yes I'm wondering if this Haslam thing is going to have a, a certain effect on white side going forward like he might not ever have a technical ever again or something because yeah. I I have no way to I that speech or whatever it is that Haslam did, if it was indeed, it might have been related to his injury. I don't know. He might have been feeling like sore or something and just went to the trainer. Who knows if he actually, but like, it's not a coincidence that he went right after Whiteside got ejected. But um, like, do we know if he went to talk to Whiteside or we're just speculating this? I, I, I think that was the idea. I it was speculation. Yeah. So I, I don't think anybody's confirmed what the purpose was for him to go into the locker room. In fact, I mean, the, the immediacy following the ejection, would lend your, you know, would lend some credence into the possibility that he was going there to kind of instruct. Ninety nine point nine percent sure that's why he was going in the locker room, but yeah, um, I guess nobody's really talked about it afterwards. So I wonder what the effects will be. I hope, hopefully, he's he was able to set Whiteside straight because um, the idea that it's it's fine like to get emotional the way Whiteside does, or even to get upset. Like we've seen Dwayne Wade argue call after call after call, and yeah, it, it turns into some you know transition points too often i'm not here to like say wade's fine with the way he does it. he's still something that is, drives heat fans crazy yes. but um it never really it, he's never pulled out of games because of it he's not ejected because of it it's it's fine to argue calls every once in a while and to get frustrated but to react physically like in an immature way like i said punching a wall um, that's, you, there's a limit. You can't do that. Yeah, it's, it's one, I mean, I would argue that it's probably the most frustrating thing about Dwayne Wade's game is when he checks out mentally, but even that is 
not as severe as what Whiteside did when he gets removed physically from a game because he just can't control himself. He can't control his emotions. Right. And, and, and you know, I, I've maintained that there's a problem with Whiteside all along. And I saw some recent comments by ESPN's Michael Wallace, who, you know, he's pretty close to the Heat locker room or whatever, that maybe people shouldn't be judging him based on his limited interaction with them or based on limited interaction with them years ago and based on his limited playing this year. But I'd like to think, and I can't, I, I, obviously I have no, uh, you know, I have no close relationship with the whites or anything. I'd like to think that I'm a pretty good judge of character. And you know what, this is still just my opinion and you can take it or leave it one way or the other. But I have, I have genuine concerns about Whiteside's behavior. I don't like what I see from him. Well, uh, you know, it's and I thought I, what concerns me is how quick we were to say, "Oh, he's matured now." Why do we say that? We have no reason to say that other than the fact that one, he's sticking to an NBA roster, and two, he's playing really, really well. But you know, he's sticking to an NBA roster that is desperate for size and talent and anything. They were pulling at straws. They needed anything to happen, um, and even. You know, playing Whiteside was kind of by accident because Chris Anderson got hurt and McRoberts got hurt and and uh, you know it, it was just out of desperation. But and then the talent thing that was never really an issue from what we understand. Like I'm not going to pretend that I followed us on Whiteside's career before he even showed up with the Heat this season. But from what I am, from what I read, and from what I understand, the talent was really never the concern. It was just he was such. A head case and, a, and a, the maturity issues were so severe that teams like said it's not worth it. And um, I just because he's playing well doesn't mean he's mature, you know. And I, I don't. We kind of always in sports in general kind of have the two hand in hand. Oh, if he's sticking to a roster and he's playing well, he must have matured by now. Um, we've fallen into that trap with Beasley a couple times. We've. And, you know, the NFL falls into that trap, it seems like, every season, every game, there's somebody that's matured or something, and then they go and strangle somebody or something. Well, um, you, you, just, you just don't assume that a player is going to grow that much. Right. Like, physically. They always have those physical tools, physical gifts. So what's the difference between a non-productive version of Whiteside from earlier this season when he was on the Memphis Grizzlies sure. training camp roster? You know, so, but it, it'd be one thing if he like stuck to the Memphis Grizzlies, right, or the San Antonio Spurs, or even the Heat last season. Like the Heat have tried him out before, you know. Um, a good team, a title contending team, like the Mavericks who need a center really bad, or um, the Warriors who needed help at center. Um, you know, it's one thing if he sticks to a great team, but the Heat are in such a desperate. It's desperate times, desperate measures. Maybe they were just that desperate. And I'm not saying that all this is, you know, signs that Whiteside's a head case and that this is not going to work out and that he's not going to be the star that everybody hoped he would be. But there's definitely, I think the concerns are legitimate and I don't think it's something that we should just gloss over. No, I, I don't either. I don't either. I think, you know, there, there certainly have been some things there. It's just, there is an immaturity there that, I mean, we, I know it's unfair for us to say, well, these people that have been, basically gifted a whole hell of a lot because of their physical abilities, you know, where they're able to slide through academic structure and, and, and anything else that you might want to impose on them. You know, they're, they're treated, they're treated differently than the rest of us. And with mm -hmm. good reason, because they're superior athletes, that's a whole other socioeconomic, you know, judgment that I'm not willing to make at this point in time. Yeah. But the reality is that he's been treated differently his whole life. He's been, 
you know, kind of molly coddled or whatever you want to put it. Um, and so now all of a sudden he's thrust into the limelight and he's not responding to it very well. At least I don't think he has. And that's part of my issue is that I think, you know, you, you make it to this level. I don't think you need to necessarily go around reminding everybody how pissed off you are that everybody ignores you. I understand that at one point, maybe that's the motivation that you use to get you back to this level. That's fine. But when you go on, I mean, I used to make jokes about it in my previews. You know, his 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 revenge tour was continuing. Yeah. After, after that game with the, the Clippers where he said, you know, he was really upset that Doc Rivers wouldn't give him a chance. That was like his, his big coming out party, at least on the national stage. And so a lot of people kind of ran with it and were like, oh, man, he's, he's really got a chip on his shoulder. But we've seen that since then. This was a couple of months ago, and that hasn't gone away. He's really genuinely pissed off at these people for not having hired him, not having given him a chance, etc. Yeah, and, you know, there's it's one thing to have a chip on your shoulder, but when you feel entitled to a chance, which is exactly what you're saying, it's you weren't entitled to anything just because you're seven feet tall and, you know, have really strong hands and can dunk the basketball. Like, right. I felt it would be one thing, you know, if, if this was a revenge tour and, like, there was something warranted there, you know? If Doctor said something mean about him in the press or something, like, but it's right. just no. They they tried you out like they tried out dozens of other basketball players and they didn't pick you because they only have fifteen spots on the roster, you know, and they're a title contending team. So, you know, I I always kind of thought it was weird that he had that chip on his shoulder, but then again, it's like who am I to question a guy's motivation? Um, so I kind of wrote it off that way, but. There's some red flags that I think everybody tries to ignore because of the way he's been playing. Yes. And it's it, it, it's easy to ignore them, and you kind of force yourself to ignore them and talk yourself out of them, but it's the same kind of red flags that we've seen, you know, that we talked ourselves out of with LeBron James last four years, saying, oh, well, one day he's going to go back to Cleveland, and we're like, ah, that day's not going to be anytime soon. But we always knew he would return to Cleveland. Um, and just multiple red flags. Um, it's the same sort of thing, and I don't know if... Again, I don't know what kind of conclusion to draw from this, but it's something that needs to be dealt with from a team standpoint. It's not something that Whiteside personally is just going to fix himself. It's not be, if his two K rating becomes an eighty four overall, he's not going to be like, all right, I'm good now. Like, it, it's it's going to be a process here, and it's worth it because of the talent he is, and Absolutely. you know he's a bigger talent than anybody thought he was, um, and he's had such an impact that it's worth making you know, the necessary adjustments as an organization to keep them around, especially with 50% of our first-round picks going elsewhere the next six years. Um, but it's not something that's just going to be fixed overnight. Or it will because Haslam scared the shit out of them. So. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. Though. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't I, think we're so. We're joking either. here, but, but you know, he, he, needs to, he needs to appreciate what he has now. And I, I know that's hard because, again, you did, you did mention that, that – you know, who are we to judge what their, his motivation is? But at this point, he's there. He has to kind of embrace that and move forward. And he hasn't even gotten paid yet. Like, what's going to happen when he gets this huge contract? When he's an 81 overall in NBA 2K and he's making, you know, 15 million plus a year? What's like? That's like that's got to be a concern in the Heat's front office, no? Oh, I mean, I, I can't imagine them envisioning him to be a part of the team past next season. Really? You think that they're already done with it? Oh, no. I mean, I think they'd love to keep him. I just don't think that they can. I think privately, when you see a player who's so determined to prove to everybody what he's worth and has been desperate to get his from day one, 
and then we're talking day one four years ago when he was pissed off and, and kicked off the Sacramento Kings. I, I think this is a guy who, who's looking to get in. I told you when we first started talking about Whiteside, whether Whiteside was the real deal or not, I brought up the comparison to Isaac Austin. Yeah. And, and I think that one still sticks, you know. This is a guy who wants to get his money, and, and you can't blame him for that. But he's not going to fit into that plan all of a sudden. You know, you've got, you're going to have to re-sign Dragic this summer. Right, you're, and he's going to make, and, and we're talking about $40 million between him and Bosch. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's a lot of your salary cap right there. you got McRoberts, whatever. You still have Wade next season. Maybe you can get Wade at a discount, but then you have to start looking at his, is, is, you know, is, is Whiteside going to be your next max level player? I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to ask you two hypothetical questions here then. Let's, hypothetically, Whiteside signed through next year, but let's say he was his contract expires at the end of this season. How much do you pay him to come back on a one-year deal? Next year, to come back next year for 2015-2016? Yeah. Based on his production this year and the headaches that he's caused... But also knowing that with Dragic, if you're re-signing Dragic, and with, if Chris Bosh is coming back at full health, that you have legitimate title hopes, I'd pay him about $10 million a year. That's what I was thinking. Um, and then if... And this is not really counting. I don't know what the salary implications are right now. Sure. But yes, but I think just as a value standpoint, and if another team came in and was like, well, we're going to give you $12 million, do you match it? I might... You know, go. I might say, all right, we'll give him twelve million for a year and just kind of see what happens here. But yeah, I'm thinking right there that ten to twelve million dollar range. I'd be really uncomfortable with twelve, but I think I'd probably do it. Push comes to shove. Yeah. Um. S- simply because the title hopes are legitimate. Yes. You think you can make a run this year with him? And, and it's a one year deal. You know, yeah. it's like a one year experiment. So. And then you can convince him to resign long term because there's already a championship culture in place, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you never know what the future will hold. But for next season, for one year, yeah, twelve million sounds about right. Any higher than that, fifteen million? I don't think so. Yeah, considering who the free agents are this summer too. So that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, let's say I don't know. Throw some centers out there that could be traded this year. I don't know. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but who would it? Who would you have to get, or not, maybe not even centers, just players in general? I'm trying to think what it would take for a team to come in and say, we'll give you this for Whiteside, and for the Heat to say, all right, you know what, let's do it. Whiteside could be the next big center in the NBA. He could be the next DeAndre Jordan, but we don't want to deal with him anymore. It's worth taking this player in return. Um, uh, that's a tough one. I guess I, we, we could have... Uh, <laughs> I could have prepared this, could have let you know this question ahead of time, but um, I don't know. I, I think it would be, I don't think it would be a more, I don't think it would necessarily have to be a Marcus All level type player. It wouldn't have to be a Joakim Noah. It wouldn't have to be these kind of, those bigger type guys. It might be something even. I'll like, toss a name out. Okay. Ennis Cantor has been thriving hmm. in Oklahoma City. So hypothetically, the Thunder want to get a big center back. They really miss Kendrick Perkins, but they want somebody with Perkins' size and put some athletic ability and they say, you know what, Whiteside kind of fits that. We'll give you Ennis Cantor. Well, I think he's that he a would... restricted free agent. So that's true, too. Yeah, they can't but... really... That Okay, that gets a whole other conversation, but they can't really afford to pay Cantor, can they? They have to make Not some decisions. The... Who, Oklahoma City? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're stuck there. Uh... Because they they're already, they have Mitch McGarry and Stephen Adams, too. I mean, McGarry's like, whatever, but Stephen Adams is a real thing. 
McGarry's good, but you don't really need him, you know. Right. Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I think the problem with Cantor in Utah is that he, he really had delusions of grandeur. He, he had kind of like the white sides where he thought he was going to get paid. The white money. sides? Did you just make yeah. that up? I love that. Yes, I did. He thought he was going to get paid a lot, and he apparently he has a joke of an agent, like the guy from his that ran the Turkish deli near he grew up. All of a sudden, decided he was going to be an agent or something like that. Excellent. And it's representing him against Sam Presti, one of the smartest GMs in the league, and he's been kind of like a, a joke, like like the or I'm sorry, not Sam Presti, whoever they had in, in in Utah, and so that's part of the reason why they traded his ass away is because they were just tired of dealing with him. Of the agent, with the agent. Correct. Okay. So, all right. So that's a whole other issue. But, okay, so hypothetically, you know, that fit, that, that actually sounds like a trade the Thunder would make, though, right? Because they they will trade a player who kind of looks like they have a bright future. They'll trade him if he's demanding a huge contract for maybe um, for a player that's even just got a cheaper contract for one more year, you know? So, like, a Hassan Whiteside who's got that cheap deal, maybe they'd trade Cantor. That sounds like a Presti type move, and we yeah, saw it with Reggie true. Jackson, right? The same exact thing. So exactly. Um, I don't. I'd say the Heat would probably do that. No, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. They have. It depends on what their view of Cantor is, but I don't know. They'd have the conversation, right? I think so. I think he provides a low scoring presence. Yeah, he's a, a better rebounder than advertised. And if you can get him early in the offseason, you fit it into the long-term plans. There. He's garbage defensively, though. I'm sorry? He's not good defensively. That's really he's, the difference. So it depends, he, I guess it depends yeah. philosophically what the Heat want to do moving forward. But but maybe you could have a much stronger perimeter-based defense where it's not necessarily – you don't necessarily lack – or you're not necessarily needing a, sh- a, a shot protector. Back to uh, back to those champion defense, defense on a rope Heat teams. It's a possibility. Yeah, I don't know. It's inter- It's they have the conversation, I guess, and uh, yeah, it's it's in- if these these issues, and I don't I don't think we're jumping the gun. I mean, maybe a little bit here, but if this is a real issue, it's something that the Heat can't ignore, and I, I think we kind of keep harping on that. But I don't. I want. I don't feel like we're overreacting. Maybe slightly, but not completely. Well, I mean, you know, Presty gets a lot of crap in Oklahoma City because he's traded away Harden and other players because he doesn't want to risk losing them in free agency without getting anything. And even a recent story that came out this week indicated that he'd be open, somewhat ludicrous. To trading Durant? Yeah. Yeah. But that's his his philosophy. He never wants to lose a guy without getting at least one asset in return. Right. And I think what his idea is that maybe you'll lose a great player here and there. You'll lose a James Harden here and there. But... Um, you know, over the course of however long his career as a general manager is going to be, it's going to, as long as he's got a couple of star players like Durant and Westbrook, things should even out, I guess. As long as they're in the playoffs, they have a chance, I guess. I don't know. Um, or they just completely botched the Harden trade. That's also possible. But, <laughs> you know, the, Riley was the, the president GM when he made that move for Isaac Austin. He traded him halfway through the season before he was able to sign long-term with the Clippers, and he got back Brett Barry in return. I mean, that that only lasted a few months here in Miami, but, you know, Riley's been open to that policy before, making sure that you get something out of a player. Look, he did it with Norris Cole. I mean, Whiteside's a little different, but, I mean, what happens if next summer 
maybe, maybe, you know, not next summer, rather, next, uh, let's say right around next February, right when the trade deadline passes, you know, maybe the Heat aren't necessarily in contention as everybody hoped. Maybe Wade gets hurt again or, or Dragic doesn't sign. What do you do then? You know, are you going to, are you going to keep Whiteside for a few months or can you trade him for something, you know, long term? So that's a whole other And he hasn't been deemed a Heat lifer. So, I mean, Haslam's untradeable. We've already learned that. Wade's untradeable, Bosch is untradeable. Some people speculate that Bosch isn't, but I don't think Riley would ever trade Bosch. Um, you know, some people are just... I think Chalmers is untradeable at this point, to be honest. Um, Chris Anderson? I don't think any of these guys are tradable, but um, the, the guys that he deems heat lifers... Has he ever called Norris Cole a heat lifer? I don't recall. I don't think so. Maybe not publicly. Maybe privately. But... Um, I don't even know if he uses... That'd be weird if he actually used that word heat life or privately. If that wasn't just a complete PR thing. If he really kind of... Never mind. That, that would be terrible, actually. It would be... Like, I would think a lot less of Riley. <laughs> uh, very awkward, right? I mean... <laughs> you're, you're a heat lifer. I just don't want to hear that coming from somebody. Like, unless you're, like, being filmed for a television commercial or something like that. Yeah. Along the same lines, I saw Sean Williams in a Detroit Pistons jersey, and it, and it made me very sad. He's on the Pistons? Yeah. <laughs> Did you learn that when you saw him in the Pistons movie? Yes. That's exactly what happened. I was watching the Charlotte Hornets trying to figure out why the hell they've got a five-game winning streak going. And all oh, it's because of, Sean Williams. <laughs> because of Sean Williams. Because of Sean Williams. They actually <laughs> won that game against Detroit. But, yeah, all of a sudden, Sean Williams comes on, and, uh, and yeah, he played for Detroit. And, you know, he was lost on defense. He didn't hit a three-point shot, and uh, that was basically it. Just like we remember. <laughs> but it's so sad because you know he, he you know there he is in October all yeah. of a sudden in the middle of that three game winning streak to start this heat the year and he's talking about you know he finally feels comfortable in the system he feels home for the first time it's like sorry buddy <laughs> we're trading <laughs> you and you're not going to know where the hell you ended up and for like a good three days after the deadline you're not going to know what yeah. team you're on did he get traded to New Orleans along with Cole and Justin Hamilton and then he got waived? Is that one of the things? Yeah, or he like got traded to the NFL briefly or something and then, I don't know, ended well, up in MLB's minor league system and then ended up signing with the Pistons. No, 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 but seriously, like, I, I don't know. No, I, I think he, yeah, I think he, no, I think he was traded to Phoenix and they, that's not true. Maybe it is. Some, Maybe it's, it's either Phoenix or New Orleans. But yeah, was, like, I think whole... Phoenix may have waived him, but somebody waived them. I think just I think it was just a three like right after the trade deadline. And we had no idea what was happening. Like yeah. We're still like picking up the pieces. Yeah, and we kind of I think we messed up the Justin Hamilton Hamilton thing too, and he's somewhere now. No, he got waived. He's he's out of the league altogether. Didn't wasn't there a team? Um, was it Utah or that was talking about maybe bringing him in? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want Justin Hamilton to land somewhere. I thought he was going to ba- end up back in Sioux Falls, but whatever. I, I want him to land in Springfield in the basketball hall of fame. There we go. Justin Hamilton. Um, Low-key, the Sioux Falls Skyforce uh, signed uh, Byron Mullins. Remember him? No. Okay. Well, he's on the Skyforce. Um, so, <laughs> I think he played at Ohio State, if I remember. He's kind no, of... Sh- I, I, I Oh, okay. Yeah, he's like a, he's a stretch center kind of guy like Justin Hamilton. I was like, Hamilton must have been pissed about that. I don't know how long Byron Mullins has been on the Sky Force. Maybe it might have been a while. But um, I did want to say something. I forgot what it was. Oh, at the end of the season, I do want to do a recap of just the different phases that this year. This, this, this one NBA season has been like 12 separate mini seasons. 
I mean, you talk about that three-game winning streak. That was the first three games of the year. That was... And Sean Williams was in the starting lineup. I mean, this team... And Do you remember Shannon Brown? He was on this team. He started a couple of games and then got cut. I mean, there, there's been so many little seasons within the big season that it's... It it seems it's mind boggling. It seems like Shannon Brown was on the team four years ago. Oh no! I, I mean, I, I can't even remember what it was like to have Chris Bosh in the lineup. Yeah, that seems like forever ago. Jesus, yeah, it, it really does. Like like pre, wasn't he hurt before the All Star break? Yeah. And then, I mean, it's just I, I can't remember when he. Do you was, remember he, like was here last? And the Heat were like they had that period of time where they were the third quarter season. Yes. It's like, and now they're like a second half team, and they can't get going in the first half. And it used to be the exact opposite. Right, where they have to make these huge comebacks, like they did against the, right. the Kings, right? But, <laughs> and it was like before, before, and the Kings, and before, the Kings, it was like a sixteen point deficit. Um, the <laughs> that's right. The the Wizards, Magic, all these teams. But in, like in the that first half of the season or whatever, like pre All Star break, it's like, oh, we just have to be. Oh, we have a five point lead going in halftime. We're done. Like, it had to be at least, like, 10, like, and now it's, okay, let's just try to keep it within 10 until the second half starts, and then Henry Walker will just start launching threes, and we'll get right back in this thing. Also, Henry Walker's on the team now, um, so. <laughs> yeah, like, Michael Beasley's on there again. Right now, we're in the part of the season, we're in the 10-day contract part of the season, where it's just like, you're on a 10-day contract, you could be starting for us, that's fine. Um, it's, like, not even a tryout. Um... So yeah, at the end of the year, I want to just kind of i I thought about making maybe doing a post about that, but then I realized it would be like nine thousand words and just complete and utter disarray because there's no way you can make an organized picture of this season because it's been so disorganized. Uh, yeah, you know what you could do? You just break it down into you know Many segments, seasons, yeah. And, yeah. And like a, like a slideshow or something like that. You know? Oh, like slideshows are great. Slides. I love slideshows. Different slides on the different phases of the heat season. You know, because you're right. That three zero, the longest heat streak of the season, longest win streak. It was all downhill from there. And then from there, they lose to. Then they have those that magical two game winning streak against Minnesota and Dallas. Right? Wasn't Dallas like that? Dallas win to me was still like a a peak for this season. Like one of the hills and valleys of the season. That was definitely in terms of in terms of just the pure basketball play regardless of the players on the court that was probably the best played basketball game the Heat have played all year and I don't think no not definitely I think that's certainly the best played basketball game the Heat have played all year maybe the Cleveland game uh Christmas and even that was without Chris Bosh yeah that's true (laughs) we haven't had this team intact ever that that is the crazy thing and I was thinking about this the other day Whatever the over-under is on this the Heat's win-loss record for next season, I think it's going to be completely deflated. I think the Heat, if they just get healthy, and all of this bad karma that's happened to them this year, I think they're building it up for next year. I think this team improves by like 15 to 20 wins next year, and I don't think that's unrealistic. This team's never been healthy. This team's had like a, a combined like four games that all the guys on the roster were healthy, and that's only in, if you like disclude Josh McRoberts. I don't know if that four-game... Figure is accurate. I'm just throwing out a number, but it feels like that, and it, well, it mean, might be right around there. Well, there was you know that 34 minutes that was the projected starting lineups only managed to play. That, that statistic just bottles the mind. I can't get over that one. Or the 25 different starting lineups is insane. Like 
I think it's 25 starting lineups. That is, I don't even, it's unheard of. I don't even know if that's, I don't even know if that's precedented. I have to look it up, but. I I mean, you have to think that a a team like Philadelphia that was such a mess. 25? Like. I don't know. I I really, I can't, I can't imagine. 25. Yeah, because we've had. We've had like 40 different players. Yeah, it's like 40 different players go through this roster. Mario Chalmers, Norris Cole. We traded a whole bunch of Sean Williams. We traded so Granger. many players. Justin yeah. Hamilton was starting games. <laughs> yeah. Justin, and he had that face mask thing on. Oh Remember God, that game in Milwaukee, I think, where his family was in the stands? That was the storyline of the game, that he had family alive <laughs> in person at a game. Was that Utah? Because he's from <laughs> Utah. Yeah, Utah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my God. This season's been awful. I can't wait for it to be over. I almost hope we don't make the playoffs. Is that is that a thing? Is that because I see a lot of positivity on Twitter, and, and even if like from our commenters and things like that, they seem to be really you know excited about the fact that we're trying very hard. And maybe there's something to be said about that. I know it's you know we, we were looking at it at the start of the season, but maybe it's I, I don't know anymore. I don't know if positivity is enough. Like there needs to be something better, something more. I like that this team is competing still. I think that's because the players are so young. I think that the playoff, even if we were the ninth or tenth seed in the East, we probably wouldn't get. We're not going to get our pick anyway. So you might as well make the playoffs at that point. Um, and just to get young guys like Tyler Johnson, regardless if he's ever on the team again, and Beasley, and he's not really young, but to get him some playoff experience, some real playoff, not just like riding the bench while LeBron's playing. Um, playoff experience. I think that would. I think that's going to carry a lot of value. So I and, you know, yeah, it's it's nice that this team is competing. It's that that's always been the direction of Riley. That's always been the mantra. And where you have the Miami Dolphins not knowing what the hell they're doing and signing the Dominican Sioux on one end. At least the Heat actually have a direction and a focus. So um, yeah, I kind of like that. But just from a pure. Not the Heat fan talking, but like just the basketball fan talking. I don't want to watch this team anymore. I just want them to just go away so that I can watch the other good teams because they don't. This team doesn't deserve to be. It doesn't feel like a playoff team, and the only reason they make the playoffs is because they're in the Eastern Conference. But they're losing to non-playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. I don't know. I don't know where these wins came from. I really don't. I I have no idea. I don't remember us winning a game this season. The hardest thing for me to watch is just. Like, every time I, I'm, I'm forced to predict what's going to happen, what the hell's the point? Because you never know who's going to be on the floor. You never know how they're going to perform, even if they're all there. It's it's just, I have never seen such a, a, a an inconsistency in, in, in corporeal form. It's unbelievable how, how this team has just, you never get the same lineup from one game to the next. There's yeah. no, so it's, it's just unbelievable. So it's very hard to to watch it's very hard to root for because you don't know what you're getting into maybe not root for like i always want them to succeed obviously but it's just very hard to know exactly what's going to happen from one game to the next it's hard to watch though like i i almost i love i love watching the heat and everything but i almost hate the nights when the heat games are on because i know i have to watch it and i know it's gonna be this roller coaster ride of inconsistencies and sometimes i just want to watch the rest of the league I don't know if you feel the same way, and I won't force you to say it outright in a public forum like a podcast. You know, and when, but and I, like games like last night where Wade scores thirty four points is awesome. Yes. But when you but when they lose, it sucks. 
And the fact that they've gone four and five in games that Wade has scored 28 points or more this season, it doesn't even matter if he has a great game. Right. It really, it's, it's almost, it's, it's a coin flip. I think they're eight and eight or nine and nine or something like that when it's 25 points or more from Wade. I looked this up last night. It's. Don't they have a better record away from the American Airlines arena yes. than they do at home? Yes. I mean, it, it, the home field, the home court advantage is not is is not existent. When Wade actually plays really well, it's literally a coin flip to whether they win or lose. I mean, there's no way to really pre- predict what the season is going to be other than they have a better chance, kind of, to win games when they're not at home, which doesn't sound right. So, yeah, there's literally no way to predict what's happening on this this season. Maybe there is. There's there, there's no barometer, I guess, is what we're trying to say. And I think we talked about like Mario Chalmers kind of being the barometer in the past. There is no barometer. There is nothing. Shall we Sir. look forward to the week ahead, then? <laughs> <In> po- <laughs> we can't possibly predict exactly what's going to happen. Milk and cereal. Cereal, cereal. Cereal or not cereal. Wednesday. So tomorrow night versus Brooklyn. Michael Beasley could be starting at center. That's the thing, yeah. I think uh, Chris Anderson's I take, might still be hurting. I take back everything I say about dreading watching Heat games. That will be the single most entertaining thing that's probably happened in 2015. <laughs> is if Beasley starts at center against the Nets. I mean, Miles Plumley, not an overpowering player, but he's active, he's physical. How soon before? What's the over under before Beasley fouls out? Fouls out? You know, second quarter, third quarter. I mean, um, they have to play him at this point, and they don't have any other options. Maybe they could pick up Justin Hamilton off the waiver wire at this point. Okay. Well, realistically speaking, Haslam, no Anderson, no Whiteside, right? Right. So, holy crap! Beasley and Henry Walker. That's a very undersized. A little bit, Henry Walk. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. I mean, they might as well play uh, Tyler Johnson at center. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> I don't um, think that's gonna work. Well, he's got the hops, James Ennis. I, I really like James Ennis and um, Henry Walker, are roughly the same size, but they've been playing Henry Walker at power forward a little bit, or whatever we want to call that. So this is literally positionless. So I'm gonna go zone the entire time. Beasley's actually not been horrible. Um, so he's actually been the anchor of that zone defense, which is terrifying to say, but he's not been that bad at it. So um, I just don't know if it's sustainable for an entire game, especially when Lionel Hollins is going to want... He's still coaching the Nets, right? He hasn't been fired yet. So um, he, he's going to want to get in the paint and do things. But yeah, I guess you just play Beasley until he files out. I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah, I mean he's got I he's in shape to do it. I assume and guy was playing in China for eating okay, horse meat. Now, I mean Anderson might be available, and if he yeah. doesn't, imagine he starts. If he's he even close kind of... to being able to play, he plays. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. He, I think he kind of has to at this point. Okay, thanks for saving me from that rabbit hole I was going down. <laughs> Save me so, with Chris Anderson. So knowing that Brooklyn has been pretty inconsistent themselves. They still win this game, though. Yeah, this this team is serial. And I don't think the Heat even know where the kitchen is right now. <laughs> now, Goran Dragic might be back, right? I mean, I, I read that he was 
available to play yesterday, but the team doctors and coaches said, no, let's let's rest up for the rest of the season. And they don't want to take any chances with his, his back spasms, if that's what it is. Yeah, I don't see them rushing him back. But, because you really, you know, he's it's more than just a playoff race right now, you know. If back spasms are, that's scary, you know. You don't want to mess with a player's back. So I, do, I don't see them rushing him back, but... If he's ready to go, I think, you know, he's ready to go, right? I think ultimately it'll probably be up to him if he wants to play. Uh, I think the Nets probably win this game, and it sounds like you do too, regardless of who plays, just because in general, at least the Nets kind of know what they're doing, and the Heat just don't. Um, In terms of, like, a rotation, you know, just purely just down to that, which probably means the Heat are going to blow him out. Absolutely. I I was just thinking... that the Heat have no chance. Generally, they surprise the hell of us, out of us, and, and then just go ahead and, and, and win somehow. So, and if they win that game, they'll lose to the Raptors because they can't win two games in a row. And that's that that, that ends up being perfect because Monday's game is against the Cavaliers, so we'll just win that one. Well, you know, somebody asked me about the Cavs game, and, and I was like, "Well, you know, I thought they were at, in Cleveland," and he was like, "Oh no, it's at it's at home, so they definitely can win. Meaning Miami can definitely win." I was like, "What?" Uh, that doesn't sound so. right. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> That's not gonna happen. So um, yeah, so out of those three games, we probably have the best chance against the Raptors because number one, it's in Canada, as far away from the United States as Florida as we can get. Um, also. You know, the players might be back by then, too. You know, so... Um, well, yeah, Whiteside will be back. Yeah. Dragon should be back. So maybe yeah, you'll have as close to a, a you know, healthy lineup as you could possibly hope for at this point. Yeah. Um, is there going to be a point where they stop playing Haslam at center when he's able to play? I don't see it. You think he just continues to start at power forward, I mean? Um, oh, uh, yeah, they don't have any options. Beasley? Starting him as at power starter. forward? Yeah, as a starter. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think anything's out of the question at this point, but it might be worth, if you're really going spread pick and roll with Dragic and Whiteside, Beasley makes far more sense to start the game than Haslam. And I kind of like the idea of Haslam coming off the bench with Chalmers. Because they play well together. They've historically played well together. I mean, you kind of have to, I guess, make that determination if you're going to sign Beasley for the rest of the season, right? Which hasn't been determined at this point. Yeah, it sounds like is it's kind of that's going to happen, right? Right. It seems likely. Yeah. And if that's the case, then maybe you make that commitment and say, "All right, let's see how you thrive in the starting lineup." So the Raptors are serial or not serial? I want to say not serial. Right now, they're struggling. I don't think they're very serial. I don't think so either. Yeah, and the Cavs are serial. Now, are they? Because that's a good question. Because I see them, like, <laughs> I mean, with the personalities that they have on there, they're more focused now than they've ever been, right? Yeah. So doesn't that take some of the serialness out of them? Yeah, you're right. Although, Not I serial. mean, J.R. Smith is almost, like, perpetually serial. He was, but now it seems like when was the last time we've any like heard of anything like even seen a J.R. Smith joke on Twitter? I mean, it's just it's J.R. Smith has been just the anti J.R. Smith, right? 
I mean, he's been a, a model player, which he's is been the it's like, he's yeah, exactly. And considering the the person he's taking over for, Dion Waiters, I mean, it's just everybody was like, oh, you're replacing Dion with J.R. Smith. Good luck with that. It's yeah, I guess it worked. Yeah, uh, you know, supposedly he's bored in Cleveland, which I can't say I blame him. And you know, now all of a sudden he, he's focused focused on just playing basketball, and it seems to be working. I mean, I'm sure he's going to have his occasional moments. You know, I haven't actually seen Cleveland play much. I think part of it is is just disturbing seeing LeBron James. Are you Cavs. still bothered by it? Uh, again, that seems like a long, long time ago, but it does bother me a little bit, especially when I see him playing very well. Like they were in the middle of a recent win streak, and I was like, yeah. you know what? I don't want to see that shit. I got over it um, right around the All Star break. I got over it. Or, you know what, I, I'll say this. I kind of got over it at, closer to, like, it's still it still trickled in a little bit after the Timothy Mozgov trade, but when they started playing better, I was able to just kind of get over it. And and when LeBron specifically started playing better, like like old LeBron James, not like when he first started in Cleveland and there was just it was complete disorganization, I got back to just appreciating watching him play. So now I watch Cleveland a little bit more. Oh God, no! Austin Carr is terrible. The Cavs and the Pacers. It doesn't get worse than that. Yeah, who's the who's the Pacers guy? I want the color guy or the play-by-play guy. Uh, color. Uh, I don't even know if I don't even know if he's speaking oh, English. Uh, something Buck Buck Buckner Quinn Buckner. Pacers color broadcaster. It's Quinn Buckner. Quinn Buckner. Are you sure about that? Should I stop googling it? Quinn Buckner. Alright. And they're horrific. Quinn Buckner's the worst. worst. Oh, you think Carr's the worst? I can't stand Buckner. I can I can almost understand Austin Carr. I can't understand a word Quinn Buckner says. Oh wow, that's funny, because for me it's the other way around. Huh. Because we speak different languages. This is <laughs> a good podcast. <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe that. Because yeah, I hear like he, he seems like he's perpetually screaming also, you know, <laughs> Austin Carr. I don't know what it is. And Quinn Buckner, the Indiana home, they are just like the Pacers themselves. Nobody on that Pacers team has ever committed a foul before. Yeah. <laughs> and the broadcast team seems to have bought into that policy 100%. Because, I mean, seriously, David West could punch a hole through somebody's head and all of a sudden be like, well, he just put his skull in the way of David West's fist. And it's like, well, no, that's not quite how it happened. And you and I share a mutual love and respect for the Portland Trailblazers broadcast crew. And I don't, as much as I like um, uh, Eric Reed and Tony Florentino, I gotta, you know what, we'll talk about this off off the podcast because they've been annoying me lately, but I don't want to get into specifics here. I'll, I'll, I'll get into this though. I mean, if you hear the, if you see the replay of the Whiteside video where he commits the foul on Olenek, you, you, you know, they don't know what's going on. They, they know that all of a sudden Olympics stand on the ground and they know that Whiteside committed a foul, but they thought maybe he was just like kind of battling for position or something. Uh-huh. They didn't know how blatant it was until they saw the replay. <laughs> and then you, they hear, you can hear, this is why I think it gives a little extra credence to why Whiteside might be a problem. Like they might see some of those kind of issues up close because they see Whiteside committing the foul and they immediately go, oh, oh no. Like you know, all of a sudden... Right. Like, they get really depressed seeing this, like, come on, kid, what are you doing? This is not what you're supposed to be doing out there, damn it. You know, like, they're both 
visibly shaken or audibly shaken by by what they've seen because they just can't believe that Weiss is going to go in there and fling an elbow around so mercilessly as he did. And they're so distraught by what they've seen. It's kind of hilarious. It, it, yes. it underscores the whole thing, and it kind of makes it much more interesting viewing. They definitely are part of the team. I mean, they like they are, but they really the way they broadcast it, they do. I don't think there's any like pulling punches where I don't not homerism, but like they really feel like they're part of the team. I feel like for better or for worse. I mean, Fiorentino coached the damn Heat at one right. point. That know, was and Ron Rothstein during the. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. we 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 to the point where it's like. It's almost like he's giving the team a pep talk. Like this is what we're doing. Like, but like he's in the studio, so it's a little awkward. The Rothstein, I don't know. I don't know if I buy this whole um, studio transition for him. You don't like it? No, and I know I'm in the minority, yeah, but I just yeah. don't really see. I my problem with coaches that end up going to studio is that they so often say so little things of value, which is surprising because they coach basketball and they know everything that they need to know about basketball to talk about it intelligently but i feel like they purposely like talk to the lowest common denominator and it, it bothers me i would love to actually have a one-on-one conversation with ron rostein and like and just talk about basketball with him you know because i pride myself on not being the lowest common denominator but um when you're in the studio and i feel like just because you're a coach you're not really trained in this and you know you just you have an idea that the media is just talking to stupid people all the time, which it kind of is. Um, and we are trained, like in journalism school, we were trained to just write towards third graders. Um, Absolutely. But, and I think that kind of seeps into the broad. And maybe I'm just, maybe I just want more. Most people probably don't. Most people watch Two Broke Girls and don't really care about anything. Um, but. Um, well, Kat Dennings is hot. Right, but that, that's what I'm talking about here. Like, it's very, it's the 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 standard's very low to what it takes to get somebody's attention. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I started googling Cat Dennings and I totally forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> we're doing a podcast. It's about the heat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's completely being derailed. <laughs> uh, this is often the case. Right. So okay, let's just wrap this thing up. Uh, right, final two, question. Two, two things about Ron Roster, though. Okay. Um, I think he brings a level of honesty that we don't rarely that we rarely see, so I, I don't mind that. And two, I actually saw him at a Starbucks once when he was with family, so I didn't you know come up to him and interrupt. But it was just funny because you don't picture Ron Rossi being at a Starbucks, and there he was. Sure. Yeah, you picture him more of like a deli guy getting a, a coffee with his turkey sandwich kind of guy. You got it. Very interesting. Final question: What was worse? LeBron James leaving Miami for Cleveland or Brian Hartline? <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I'm going to go with LeBron on this one. I think I'm in the majority also. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go there too. But I think it's a question worth asking. Um, all right. <laughs> check out the Heat Check on iTunes. Rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We'll be back again next week. Thanks, David, for joining me. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. 
Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.